You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. I know you'll be alright Even when times get hard And you feel like you're in the dark You will see Just how beautiful life can be when you soften your heart, you can finally start to live your truthiest life. Welcome back to The Truthiest Life. So excited to introduce you to my friend, Jenny. Jenny, we've been trying to record for like the last three months, seriously. And it hasn't worked out, but I believe in divine timing. And I'm so glad that we have the opportunity to have you here because you're such a bright light. Welcome, Jenny. Oh, thank you. Thanks, Lisa. So happy to be here. And you're busy. You do a lot and you've done a lot during the pandemic. There's been a lot of mommying, business changes, health changes. And there's something about your character that really stands out. You know, I saw a video where we'll get into all of it, but where you were dancing your way out of, I think it was chemo treatment. (laughs) I did. I don't think most people dance their way outside of chemo treatment. So it's clear that you've got a spirit that's a little bit different than most people. Thank you. (laughs) So there's so much that I want to learn about you, but let's just start with your upbringing. What is your nationality? Where were you born versus raised? And yeah, what were some of the challenges being here? So I was born in South Korea um, in 1982. So I'm revealing my age. (laughs) Was um, born then a couple of years later, my sister came along and, you know, I've really had a partner ever since. Um, She's my best friend. We're like night and day, but really, you know, my rock and throughout my entire life, you know, she has been there. We don't agree on a single thing, but somehow we managed to get along. (laughs) And I think that's why sisters are so special. So yeah, I mean, fast forward a few more years, you know, I actually started elementary school in Korea, then I, you know, moved over to the United States, we first moved to California, somewhere in LA, stayed there for, I believe, a couple of months. And then Uh, moved over to New York. And we lived with my grandparents for a year until my parents, you know, were a little bit more established. And, you know, then we moved out to um, Long Island in New York, where, uh, which is where I currently am. My life story is pretty colorful. (laughs) I grew up in a community in, um, in Long Island, where I was really one of the very few uh, Korean American kids. And as you can imagine, there were just a lot of things that, you know, kids at that age are not really ready for. So and, you know, nor were my parents. I mean, I think we were just kind of living and, you know, taking on each day without really knowing or even having like the luxury to be able to 
dissect what it was that we were actually going through this um, experience of like the experience of I think, you know, just that the, the immigrant experience of like not really fitting in anywhere, even if I were to actually today go back to Korea, like the, the actual Koreans who live in Korea could spot me and say she doesn't, you know, she's not she's an American or she's a foreigner, right? Just by the way that I walk, talk, dress. And, you know, unfortunately, I think for a lot of us immigrants, it's taken a lot of work for us to feel like we belong here, even still. Um, but anyhow, yeah, so I, you know, I grew up in a community where, you know, I think, we, we were, we were, I think, perceived as foreigners. And I don't want to really put it a, too much of a negative spin on that, because I think I had a relatively, you know, good circle of friends, and the community it was never, like, blatantly racist or anything like that. But I think there was just an awareness factor that was just not there. Like, I felt like I really needed to assimilate to the culture that was around me rather than me being you know proud of of who I was and what my culture was right and so there was a lot of this like you know trying to blend in trying to you know become something I think essentially that I was not right and then also at the same time feeling a little bit of like not shame, but a, a bit of embarrassment about my own culture. I think some of the things that a lot of the immigrants could relate to is that, like, you know, when a friend would come over to our house, like it would smell different because we eat different food, right? You know, even to this day, my parents and my mother-in-law, like <laughs> when they prepare food for us, or like, you know, they um, see us walking out the door for work or, or something like that. And they know that we're not going to be around Koreans. They'll say, oh, my goodness, like, I'm sorry that I made this for you. It's too much garlic in it, right? Like, it's going to make you smell, right? I'm so sorry. And so rather than it being something that we celebrate as part of our culture, like, we're always, I think, shying away from being who we are and being proud of that, you know? And so at the end of the day, it's like, to me... I'm almost like, you know, to my kids, I'm going to be the complete opposite, <laughs> right? Who cares if you smell, you know, you just had some, you know, delicious food that, you know, was carefully prepared by your loved one, you know, and how thoughtful is that, right? So rather than embracing that, I think, you know, the generation that my parents came from, they, they were always just sorry, <laughs> right, that they were yeah. like, they, they would, they would bring, you know, some sort of shock to others <laughs> through, yeah. through that. And so, you know, I think now we're starting to sort of see these things and flag it and be able to identify it and say, well, let's stop for a second. <laughs> let's stop and really embrace who we are for a second. I'm really excited about the way your generation of cross culture, I should say, I don't, sorry, I don't know if that's the right term, but you know, you identify, I believe as Korean American, right? Yes. Right. So for lack of a better word, they're cross culture. You're the whole, and I don't just mean Asian. So that's why I'm kind of leaving it a little bit broad, but people whose parents are fully from somewhere else, then you were brought over here and you've experienced both America and, I mean, a good portion of Korea. I mean, up until elementary school, I've got a lot of memories till then, including learning a language, which is the most important way that we communicate. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm really excited, although I know it's easy for me to be excited and you to face the challenges, <sighs> how the conversation is really shifting. Because like you said, the whole like walking around saying sorry for eating, whether it's curry or kimchi, you know, whatever the culture is that's being brought over, really shapes the reaction from us white people, me being white, you know, <laughs> when I hear somebody say sorry, at least previously, it's like, oh, you should be sorry. And now I'm flagging that as why are you sorry? Mm -hmm. This is you. This is your culture. Mm -hmm. And I remember growing up also in Long Island, different towns and going Halloween candy picking whatever what's that called trick-or-treating uh, trick <laughs> thank you clearly i don't have kids yet or form like halloween candy picking <laughs> and i remember and I, I don't know if it was korean but i do remember that it was an asian family that you know everyone else was giving out candy and i received in a clear bag like dried fish mm -hmm. I, and I don't know what culture that was. I just remember. So I don't know what country that came from or anything. But, you know, it was such a like, ew, this is gross, mm -hmm. you know, because it was foreign mm -hmm. to me. And 
it would have been a great teaching point for my parents to enter and have that conversation the way I want to have it with my children, you know, so that, okay, maybe it's not candy, but it is a good access point to different cultures, norms, and how we can treat people. So I think that your generation is doing a lot of the emotional labor to have these conversations, but it's landing and the next generation your children hopefully will have really different experiences. I mean, I know you said that you wouldn't color your experience in Long Island as negative. It wasn't outwardly racist, but the more I'm listening, the more I'm hearing that it doesn't have to be outwardly racist to be harmful, especially when it kind of just chips away at you and chips away at you and chips away at your identity. Mm. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. You know, and don't get me wrong, there have been outwardly racist moments that we've all had to face, myself included. And, you know, instances where you know specifically you're being targeted because of the way that you look like, right? So, you know, there have been those moments, but I think what really stays with us and what really messes us up are these like small nuanced things where we're actually participating in the racism, we're embracing it and we're we're accepting it, you know? And so take for example, I mean, I wouldn't say this is racism necessarily, but my name, I was not born with the name Jenny. <laughs> right? I was gonna ask right, that. Actually. Right. My name is not Jennifer Kim, right? I was born with my Korean name, which was Head Young. And it's a it's a name that's actually very difficult to pronounce even for Koreans. <laughs> so, you know, coming here to the States. So initially when we had moved here and we stayed with my grandparents, my aunt at the time also lived like in the same building in Brooklyn. She was like bilingual. She had spent many, many years here. She was a nurse. Like she had like a career here. And so, you know, anytime we had to do paperwork that, that was in English or any official thing that we needed someone to speak English for, we would go to my aunt, right? And so my aunt, you know, I vividly remember her like enrolling us into, you know, our first elementary school here in Brooklyn. And, you know, she asked me, she was like, you know, what do you want your English name to be? Right. And I had to really decide right then and there, like what my name would be for the rest of my life. And my sister named herself after my aunt's daughter, Susan, right? So my cousin's name is Susan, my sister's name is Susan, because my sister didn't know any English names, right? She looked up to her cousin and her name was Susan. And so she wanted to be just like her, I guess, you know, and so she chose that name. I chose my name, funny, funny story. I had gone to a summer camp this, this summer right before that, right? And I had a, um, a counselor at the time who I loved and adored. She was just so sweet and so kind to me, even though there was a a huge language barrier. Her name was Jennifer. And so therefore my name became Jennifer because she she was the, the girl that I looked up to at the time, right? And so, you know, for the rest of my life now, you know, I'm referred to as Jennifer. That's what my passport says. And, you know, it's, it's all, you know, it all came down to the, to the fact that, you know, it was an inconvenience for people to learn to pronounce my name, my birth name, right? And I embraced it. I, I was excited about changing my name to fit, you know, fit in with the American culture. But, you know, now I kind of think about, well, you know, there's literally a thousand Jennifer Kims and Jennifer Park was my maiden name. So, you know, there's a thousand, you know, of them. When I Google them, I'm I'm literally ungoogleable. <laughs> you cannot Google me and find me, right? Unless there's like some other sort of association that you attach to my name, then I, I will come up in your search findings. But I feel like who I am, like, and who I've become is really just a culmination of me accepting some of these like nuanced, you know, cultural rejections, (laughs) right, of my own culture, Um, unfortunately, I mean, for better or for worse, right? Like, I love my name, I, I love what I am, I love who I am and who I've become, all of the good things, all of the bad things. And but it took a long, long, long time to to get there. And you didn't change your original name because it was hard to pronounce or because you didn't like it. I'm sorry. Um, you changed your name because it would be easier for everyone else, including Koreans, it sounds like. But, you know, it's kind of the first way that you watered yourself down it would be a different story if you didn't like your name. But 
you lost a part of yourself that day. You took on a new part of yourself as well, mm-hmm. but there, there's something to a name. And yeah, I remember a bunch of kids growing up who kind of started off with different names. I remember one girl in particular changed her name and, you know, I just never thought of it as why are you doing that? It just seemed like the thing that you do. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's, it's just something to definitely look at. So I'm glad that you didn't experience so much so here in, you know, Long Island, but it's interesting that your kids will have wildly different experiences than you did. Mm-hmm. Become a part of the fast growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee visit rightrug.com that's r-i-t-e-r-u-g.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you 24-month financing is available with approved credit for 90 years we've been right here right now right rug flooring hey have you ever used cheapo air for years and i really like it With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Speaking of your kids, you've got a lot of them. <laughs> How many kids do you have? And when did you have your first? I have four kids. I have three boys and then I have a girl right at the end. Um, so my first was born, you know, almost uh, 12 years ago. So he's 11 years old now. Then I had my nine-year-old. Then I had my six-year-old. Then I had my now four-year-old. Oh my gosh. Your body was just in service for a very long time. Yeah. So how old were you when you became a mom? I was 27. So I was a very young mom. I knew I wanted a lot of children. Um, I always told everyone that I would have five kids and I would have, you know, um, they would all be boys and they'd all play basketball and I'd have a team and we would travel. And, you know, so I had like, you know, my sort of plan, um, you know, and obviously it's not, it wasn't like a set plan, right? I wasn't disappointed that I didn't have my kids. But you know, it was just something that I had aspired to I wanted a big family. I've always been about family. So it, you know, I was very, very happy to start having children early. I also wanted to continue to have kids. But I think at the fourth, I was just like, I think I'm done. I don't think I can do anymore. (laughs) And I'm happy. Well, you recently uh, messaged me on Instagram as I'm pregnant, mentioning that you hated pregnancy. And I both appreciated that because I think every woman should be honest about their experience, whatever that is. And at the same time, it shocked me because, you know, you've had four kids. Mm -hmm. It didn't seem like you hated it. So I think that a lot of people relate to my experience and a lot of people relate to your experience. But There's definitely, I feel like for some people, some guilt and shame for hating that part of the process. And I'm curious for you what it was like, what you didn't like, and why you feel so empowered to own that, which is awesome. I hated it. (laughs) I hated pregnancy on the record. (laughs) 
it was just a miserable time for me. I was tired. I felt sick. There was really, um, I mean, there's a very short window of like your second trimester where you feel great. But minute, yeah, thriving. yeah, yeah, thriving, right? And but it's, it is such a short window in the in this grand scheme of the whole the entire pregnancy. And it was just a difficult time. And you know, listen, I didn't really have like severe, severe, severe sickness. Like some women are hospitalized, right through their 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 pregnancy because their sickness is so severe. I just probably was just, you know, probably like at the the average level of discomfort overall. But there was no time during pregnancy where I was like, Oh, my gosh, like, I look I look great. I feel great. You know, I love motherhood uh, or parent, I don't know, pregnancy hood. I don't know. What do you, what do you call that stage? Right. So there was no, no point in time where I felt joy <laughs> being pregnant with the exception to when the baby kicks that I think is really a special feeling of just like being able to just kind of be one with your child. And it just feels much more real right? Especially that first kick. And uh, really, my skin was great during pregnancy. <laughs> so physically, you just felt awful. awful. And were you working through your pregnancies? I assume I was. you're a very driven person. Yeah, I was actually, um, and I would not recommend this, but I remember, and all my coworkers from my first pregnancy remember, I was on a call, I was in a meeting, like trying to finish up, you know, my work uh, before going often having my baby, my child came at 37 weeks, a little bit earlier than what I had expected, because they always say like, for your first pregnancy, a lot of women go past their due date. So I was at 37 weeks, and completely unexpecting that this baby was going to come then. And so I thought, Oh, I'm having some cramps. And so, you know, I think I'm okay. I, you know, I don't think I'm going into labor. So I just kept on going in this like, you know, a circle of like denial, right? What about my day? And then I was in the middle of like, that my fine what what ended up being my final meeting, right with like a room full of people. And I was literally having contractions. So I would say one thing. And, I, and then in the middle of the sentence, I'd be like, just give me one second, I'm having a contraction. <laughs> and then then I would continue my my sentence. Because I, like, to me at the time, I just needed to finish my work, right? And make sure that whoever is taking over is in a good spot, right? Like I felt so responsible, <laughs> like I needed to do that. I would not do that again now. Do you think that, and I'm sure you know a lot of people who also dislike pregnancy, the more you're, you are outwardly talking about that, I'm sure a lot of people are eager to say me too and have the conversation with mm. you. Do you find that it's a personality type that, typically doesn't like it like you're so successful for me and I assume pregnancy required slowing down and you I would assume shouldn't make assumptions but that you don't like slowing down yeah that that is definitely true I would say that the only pregnancy that really slowed me down was my last one with my daughter I was sick the whole time I just could not really do anything uh, the other pregnancies I didn't feel like I really slowed down but I think it added to my stress level of like, you know, having to be accountable for everything and everyone and like putting like this added pressure on myself to be successful and to like hit the mark every single time in every single capacity. Um, so I would say like my pregnancy with my third was probably like the epitome of like the stress level and the the pressure and these things. I'm not sure if it's a personality type necessarily, because I think you can have, you know, different personalities and still enjoy pregnancy or not enjoy pregnancy. So I don't know that it goes that deep. But with my fourth pregnancy, it was just to the point where I was like, I'm gonna let go. <laughs> I'm gonna let go of my own, you know, the pressure that I'm putting on myself. At this point, you know, I don't care what others think of me, <laughs> right? It is whatever I can do is whatever I can do. And in some ways, it was probably the most like freeing time, liberating time. So it took the fourth one to get you to that to that point of surrender. Yeah. <laughs> well, I will say if if how my, I felt in my first trimester continued into second, I would be in the hating pregnancy <laughs> camp because... I was so not liking it during the first trimester. So let's see what happens as we get to the third and my final answer about how I like this whole thing. 
At some point, you began to make a real impact on the internet when it came to parenting. You started Parenthood Together, Mm -hmm. which is a huge Facebook group. Well, why don't you tell us what it is and what it became and what your intentions were? Yeah, sure. Um, So uh, I think I had had my second child at the time. I was actually looking to open up my business, uh, Kidville, around the same time. You know, just kind of also then to take a couple steps back. I was really the first one of my friends to get married, to have children, to start a family. And so I didn't really have anyone to rely on when it came to questions that I had throughout pregnancy and beyond, right? So when I was going through this newborn stage of being a first-time parent and trying to figure out like if I was doing this parenting thing correctly, I really had no friends to ask. And so... I ended up Googling a lot of things and, you know, Dr. Google is the worst. (laughs) It's, it's bad now, but 11 years ago when my first child was born, it was even worse than it is today where, you know, you search for one thing and really all you get is like the worst case scenario of what could possibly happen. So I remember thinking about sleep training. Am I doing breastfeeding correctly? Am I, you know, like, what is this like discharge that's coming out of me? Like all these things that like, you should not be Googling. First of all, you should probably talk to your doctor or some sort of like, you know, expert. (laughs) I was Googling and really just spiraling, I think out of control in terms of just my self doubt And really feeling very alienated too, because my friends were over here in this like other like world, having a great time going on vacations, going out every night and just having a grand old time where I felt like, oh my gosh, my my entire life has changed. Not only that, nobody understands where I am. I feel completely excluded and unable to participate in the things that I want to do, right? From a, like a social life perspective. And um, so it was a very, very lonely time for me. Then, you know, I somehow got through it. I somehow got, got through the first stab at motherhood then decided to go and have my second child. And this time around, I felt so much more empowered with every decision I was making, because I just knew that like, nobody knows how to be (laughs) a parent, right? Like, no one has like all the answers, we're just trying to do the best we can. And that is good enough. And so you know, with my second child, I felt like, you know, really, so much more at ease with every decision I was making. I didn't really feel like I needed to make a fuss over every little thing. So I was able to enjoy, I think, motherhood a bit more with my second. And that was around the time when my um, friends started to have their children and started to go through, you know, pregnancy and, and had the same questions that I had. So rather than me, you know, continuing to like have these like multiple email threads going back and forth and like text messaging all day to like 20 different people who are going through what I went through a couple years back, I was like, you know, there must be like a better way to like communicate with my friends, (laughs) right? Where it's just kind of done in bulk. (laughs) And, um, And at the time, Facebook was testing this thing called groups right as an offering on their platform. And so I was like, well, let's give this a try. So I started a group there. And it really started off as me inviting my friends and it being a very like sort of closed network. And I didn't want to keep all the secrets to myself, right? So I encourage my friends to also, even if I don't know them, like invite your friends if you feel like they would they would really um, be able to take advantage of the space. And so they did. And it quickly grew. It's still to this day an invitation only group, you know, I don't know if that will change one day, because, you know, to be honest, the community is so great, and so wonderful that I almost feel like we're like hogging the space. So we have actually two different groups. So we have parenthood together group, and then we um, created a separate group called uh, picks and deals where we offer, you know, various deals and uh, choose really great products for the community. um, Because that's what the community wants. (laughs) They had asked for that Uh, very quickly. We want recommendations. We want you to tell us what's, you know, what's happening out there. Um, We don't have the time to shop. And so tell us like what the best deal is right now on the market for things that we would buy anyway. Right. So pairing it together, I believe right now, I want to say about 16,000 people 
all invitation only. And my uh, picks and deals group, I believe we're approaching about 6,000 there. And then we have a, you know, a strong following on, on Instagram as well. I believe we're at about 18,000 there. So we're, we're growing, but you know, growth has never really been the, I think the goal for us. It was organic. It was you just needing a place to talk to people, get your information out, not have to repeat yourself so much. Exactly. And it turned into, I don't know if a lot of people, when I think about Facebook groups, I don't think of them as businesses. Is this a business? It's not really a business. I would say the picks and deals, we do have an element where um, there is, uh, you know, we're using affiliate links and that really just helps us to drive drive um, the content and for us to be able to put some time into what we're doing. And so we do that, but we, it's not really a business per se. Um, we do have plans to, to grow um, and, you know, perhaps put some more stories and things like that out there sort of from an editorial lens uh, for Parenthood together. Um, but really it's all about the community. It's about just bringing people together and allowing people to come together to have important conversations where they don't get attacked or judged or, you know, and, and just feel completely safe. You know, we have a couple of rules that we're like super, super vigilant about one of them being no medical questions, because we mm. just do not want to replace your doctor. <laughs> we also don't want to be going through our feed and looking at photos of, you know, babies with rashes or your rashes or whatever. Like, it's just not we're not qualified to make those sort of comments. And so, you know, that's like one hard rule that we have. But otherwise, you know, we try to really create a space where people can figure out what they want in this community, right? We've evolved a lot over the years, too. So I mean, even just to moderate is ours. So it really shows your commitment to just create a community, you know, not be financially supported by it, but to just give back that I think is just really natural to you, <laughs> which is, you know, we need more of you in this world, <laughs> if you could clone yourself. But also, there really is tremendous business opportunity there, considering you are the lead there, right? Like people know you as the leader. Mm -hmm. They come to you for your expert opinions, which is cool that you did uh, picks and deals because the first thing that I do when thinking about my registry or whatever is I ask a few of the moms that I know that I trust, relate to, whatever. And once they tell me what they have, my Googling stops. Mm -hmm. I mean, I could be Googling for hours on something. So stuck, confused, this versus that. The brand, the toxicity, the will the child even like it, even though it's expensive. And once you get one firm opinion from somebody that you know, you know, that's the power of a quote unquote influencer. Mm -hmm. We're all influential and we're most influential, not when we're distant strangers on the Internet, when we know each other or feel like we know each other. Mm -hmm. And in that group, you've by accident, you know, established yourself as an expert, but you are an expert because even if you just had one kid, you'd be an expert because you've experienced, you've touched the products, you felt them in your hand, you know, more than somebody who hasn't done any of that stuff. Right. So that was just your, your side job, you know, <laughs> creating this non-judgmental community, a place where first parents and beyond can come together, ask the questions, release the shame and show up. And, I will say, I know this is a funny thing about me, but during my first trimester it was very lonely for me because you don't tell anybody and I didn't feel good. Mm. And it was kind of a dark place. And I found myself on like community forums on like the apps that I was on for like, how big is the baby? Mm -hmm. And I didn't know anybody, but I did feel that shame even for not loving the pregnancy at that point. Mm -hmm. And I would post anonymously on there just because I didn't, you know, I didn't want anyone to know that I was pregnant in real life mm -hmm. and I didn't know who was on there. And it really was such a good release. Mm. And the power of community and strangers even is so powerful. Mm -hmm. So it's it's great that you've got six, I think you said 16,000 people mm -hmm. in there mm -hmm. or 14,000. Yeah. I forget what yeah. you said, but anyway, a lot many, of thousands. <laughs> what was your job financially? What, where were you getting the money from? <laughs> um, so a couple things. Um, so I have been working in the advertising and marketing industry for, you know, for almost 20 years now. So throughout my career, um, you know, I've jumped to different agencies and different brands, um, have worked on, you know, various marketing campaigns, you know, at one time I had 
uh, owned my own agency, which is very small, but still pretty powerful. And at the same time, um, around the time when I was pregnant with my third child, I decided to open uh, a brick and mortar store called Kidville on the Upper West Side. And so, you know, that was actually a project that I had pursued and, you know, been very, very successful with. Um, I ran the business for close to four years. And then um, I was able to, you know, exit out. I actually sold it to a friend of mine, um, who also herself, she is an influencer too, a mom of two. And, you know, I was able to create this like really beautiful place where the community could come together. And my goal with Kidville was always to make it a safe place where where moms felt like they were not being judged, right? So sort of like the similar feel of like pairing it together where, you know, you want to come, you want to breastfeed. I had a breastfeeding sticker right up at the top. Like if you're walking through, you know, I don't care if you're a member or not of Kidville, if you're walking through and you see the sticker, it's sort of this indication that this is a safe, safe space to stop and breastfeed, right? And so, you know, we would encourage the community to come in, drop in, say hello. We'd make sure you know, we knew everyone by name and that there was like a community feel, right? So that was very, very important to me. So, you know, so Kidville was um, one of the, the places that, you know, we really spent a lot of time, you know, building. Yeah. And then, you know, after I sold the business or actually both of my businesses, my advertising agency and also Kidville, I took a little bit of a break, um, wanted to give myself about a year to kind of take a moment to relax, <laughs> embrace uh, like, you know, my children as they are. I, I feel like there's always mom guilt and I'm sure you'll feel this later down the line too, <laughs> Lisa, but whether you're home or whether you're at work, you're always going to feel guilty, right? Because the grass always feels like it's greener on the other side, I think, you know, I think the right move for me is to be a working mom, because it makes me feel alive to be working and to have my own thing and to, to, to pursue, um, you know, things that are just mine, right? Unrelated to my, my children, right? So that, it, that, you know, working definitely brings a sense of accomplishment for me. Um, so I want to be and continue to be a working mom. But it took me, you know, taking a year off to I think, really, really firm up on that and to realize that because during like a decade of being a mom and working, I always felt guilty. I always felt like, I'm not doing right by my kids by always being by their side and by always being there physically, emotionally, mentally being with my kids. Um, and I always felt this like pull and push between my career and home. And I felt like I was not succeeding in either place, right? So I was failing as a mom. And I was also failing at work, because I'm just not able to produce work at the capacity that I used to be able to, right. And, you know, at home, I'm like getting short with my kids, because I'm stressed out, or I'm tired, right. Um, or, you know, like, now that the kids are a little bit older, it's like, I can't check my kids homework every single night, right? Like, I just I don't have the capacity for that, right? Um, sometimes I have to give myself the grace to be able to skip a day and just assume that my kids if I ask them, did you do your homework? And they say yes, then I just have to say, Okay, I trust you, I believe in you. Great. <laughs> right? Even even if the very next day, the teacher comes back and writes me a note to say, Hey, your child didn't complete their homework. But like, I have to give myself that grace, right of that being okay. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles 
ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. And also giving that like freedom to my child. I was not really able to do that. I felt like if I got like a note in the backpack or like the teacher said, oh my gosh, your child didn't do their homework. Like it was the end of the day and I had failed, you know, it took me such a long time to realize that it's not the end of the world and that it's okay to be a working mom and to not hit all the marks both at work and at home, you know, and I wish that like, I didn't spend 10 years of my motherhood feeling inadequate in so many different ways. I'm going to cry. <laughs> feeling like you were like straddling both worlds. So feeling inadequate yeah. as a, a mother, but also as a whatever, you, you had many jobs. But you know, I took a year off, right? So after the businesses were sold, I decided to take the year off and then COVID happened. So I really like then had to like be, I think, obviously completely in tune with my kids because we were just, you know, they weren't going anywhere. I wasn't going anywhere. We were together in this house, like just together all the time. And so it was like, it went from one extreme to like feeling like I'm never available for my children than to going to this other space of like, I'm always with my kids, right? And to be honest, I like really enjoyed it. I was very stressed out, obviously, because, um, you know, like the pandemic as it started, you know, it was a very stressful time. But like being together, I think was such a special time for our family. And it really took that year for me to realize that like, perfection is such a fallacy. And you know, and you could be a kick-ass mom, even if you miss the homeworks in the backpack. And you can be a kick-ass mom, even if sometimes you lose your shit and like you, <laughs> you yell, right? Even if you're not doing things by the book, you're still a good mom. It really is the hardest job, whether you're working and straddling those two things or if you're full-time at home. I mean, I watch how I know Jenny is through my sister-in-law, Lauren, <laughs> somehow they connected years ago and Lauren's a stay-at-home mom. And I mean, the woman is the busiest thing. <laughs> yes. I, you know, I'm like, where are you zipping to today? She's always <laughs> zipping somewhere, zipping. Like yes. she's, I can't even get her on the phone for more than a second. <laughs> and so it's, it's just interesting because there's no way to have time for yourself. Mm -hmm. And I, actually, I will say that that's why I like pregnancy mm -hmm. is because this is the part that I'm in control of. Baby's on my time. Mm -hmm. I'm working, you know, all of that. But Again, even in the first trimester, I did feel the guilt and the the, t the tear of who am I going to be when this baby comes? What's my work going to look like? And I saw a spiritual uh, reader, a tarot reader, this woman, Jess, mm -hmm. and I don't know if that's your thing. For most people, it's not their thing. But then once you experience it, you're like, okay, maybe this could be my thing. That's kind of like where <laughs> I was at, where I was like, this is nonsense. And she basically told me that we pulled some cards on the baby and work. And she said something that I really hope to carry with me as the baby comes into the universe. And I think it's a helpful thing for all moms to maybe hear that she said, at least this baby is really here to support me in my endeavors. And that was just like kind of just a mind I can't think of a better word besides mm. for mindfuck. So it was kind of just a mindfuck because here I was thinking like I'd have to pare down my world to take care of her the baby for every, you know, waking second. Mm -hmm. And it was just an interesting shift to hear like the baby's going to support me to do what I need to do in this world. And I think every woman has something to do in this world, whether that is business or, or not. Mm -hmm. And so I hope to take that with me and help alleviate some of that guilt that you, you know, feel, because like you said, it's one thing to feel guilt. It's another thing to just feel split for so long where, the word you used was inadequate, you know, and you're certainly not inadequate. <laughs> you're quite adequate. So this year was more than just about selling a business and COVID and being home with your kids. Mm -hmm. 
you also got some health news that shook up your home. Mm, Yeah. So I was diagnosed with breast cancer in July. And it was probably the most devastating news that I had received about myself ever. And uh, it was such a scary diagnosis, um, knowing that I had four children that I was responsible for not knowing um, where this disease would take me. So it was a bit of a shock, I would say I did a lot of crying, a lot of soul searching, and we but we just got through it, you know, as a family, my husband, um, who, you know, with all his flaws, was just a warrior during this entire journey. He took care of the children, he took care of me, he took care of his full time work, which, you know, is is a very, very high, <laughs> high functioning, high stress level job, especially during the, the pandemic. And, you know, my sister, my brother in law, my nephew, they would come visit to make sure that, you know, my anytime I had to go into treatments, that they would stay over for the entire extended weekend to make sure that I'm coping okay. And, you know, coping and doing okay, in terms of recovery from each chemo treatment, you know, and the surgeries and just and friends and family. I mean, honestly, I like before my diagnosis, I knew I had a lot of, you know, great friends. And I knew that I had built up a very strong community around myself because I just love people, right? Like in general, I just love connecting with people. I love making friendships, but I hadn't realized, I think, just how amazing my community really, really, really was until I got sick, until I needed support, um, until I could no longer fend for myself in some ways. They just showed up you know, everyone just came together and showed up for me. And, you know, we had endless supply of food, drinks, balloons, flowers, like literally every day, somebody would knock on the door to be like, are you okay? (laughs) Just checking in, you know, and so throughout my cancer journey, like one of the things that I really started to understand was just the power of friendship, the power of connection. And, you know, it really made me like evaluate, like, am I a good friend? (laughs) Am I a good friend? Do I show up for my people when they're silently going through their own struggle, whether it's health, or mental health, like physical health, mental health, or or just like anything else that that they're currently struggling with, right? Because everyone has a thing, right, that they're struggling with today, right? But am I showing up for my community and checking in and being a good friend the way that like my community showed up for me? And so it really made me dig a little bit deeper. And I think for everyone listening, it's it's hard for two reasons. Like one, as the friend who wants to show up, you... I might have a different style of showing up for the person Mm -hmm. than they want to receive. Mm -hmm. So there's kind of two languages to kind of learn how to speak in a friendship. Mm -hmm. And you kind of need to establish that before something goes wrong Mm -hmm. in somebody's life or before they're having that breaking moment to know how to best support them. You know, like I know when somebody's going through something difficult, I used to be very texting and following up and as somebody now who's kind of like taken an inventory of what I like sometimes I like a little bit of space and I might feel pressure to like then write a thank you note or mm-hmm. like respond to a text message so it's yeah. you know I think we care for people in so many different ways mm-hmm. and ultimately there's no one right way how to be a good friend so when you ask I have no doubt that <laughs> you're not a good friend in you know your whole life is about showing up for other people mm-hmm. Uh, whether it's the Facebook community, the Kidville community, your family, you know, all these ways, you just naturally have that in you. So I think as long as you're thinking about the people in your life Mm -hmm. and putting good energy towards them, that can be kind of enough. So how did you stumble upon this diagnosis? Yeah, my mother and my grandmother. So (laughs) my grandmother, um, unfortunately, died of ovarian cancer. Um, She discovered it six months before she died at a late stage. And so um, she went into surgery and never really recovered from it. And then my mother, um, about a decade later, she actually half a decade later, I would say about five, six years later, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, She just had, you know, she was like feeling her breast, I think doing like an exam, and then she discovered a lump got, you know, quickly, you know, found out that, you know, she had breast cancer, she went through chemo, radiation, a lumpectomy, and at the time, a genetics test 
And the genetics test revealed that she had something called a BRCA gene. And the BRCA gene basically is something that is written in your genetic code uh, that, you know, is a marker for a... um, a higher risk uh, for many different types of cancers like breast cancer and ovarian cancer, skin cancer, pancreatic cancer. Um, but breast cancer and ovarian cancer being one of the top ones that this um, genetic marker brings. And so this was obviously pretty scary for her because I think, you know, the first place that her mind went was me and my sister, right? Did I pass this down to my daughters? And, you know, unfortunately, uh, when we both got tested, it turned out that we both had the BRCA2 gene. So, you know, it's, it's, a um, it was very scary for us at the time. You know, I think my sister is still like trying to process it, but it was that test that really helped me to be a, a bit more informed about what this means for my future. And it was this test that had me on a track to be screened every six months with a mammogram and an MRI, um, six months apart from one another. And so on my second year, going into my second year of screening, I found this cancer through an MRI. So had I waited, I'm, I'm not even 40 years old yet, right? So most women do not get their first mammogram until they're 40 years old. And that, because that's the recommended age, had I waited until I was 40, my diagnosis would be probably terminal, I would venture to say, right, by the time I found it. But I was very lucky to, uh, first of all, have, you know, this, this knowledge about my genetic, (laughs) genetic makeup and in this BRCA gene being a part of who I am. Um, And so I was just able to be a bit more informed about my decisions. You know, I had actually planned to get a bilateral mastectomy prophylactically, which basically means that you do it ahead of ahead of time before you have cancer in your body. Unfortunately, you know, I told myself I gave my own like, you know, timeline, right? I gave myself a timeline of when you turn 40, Jenny, you're going to do it. By that time, your children will be a little bit older. They'll be, you know, everyone will be in like, you know, the stage where they're not so um, reliant on me. I can be out, you know, in uh, half surgery, I can be out and um, in bed, and it won't be as disruptive to my children, right? So I said, okay, at 40 is when I'm going to start thinking about like really having this prophylactic surgery. Unfortunately, cancer doesn't wait for you. (laughs) It doesn't, you know, it doesn't sit on your timeline when it's convenient for you. It happens whenever, whenever it feels like it. So um, unfortunately, it got me before I was able to do it prophylactically. So, you know, I will forever be a cancer patient. I luckily, I was able to find this cancer early stage, get it out of my body, you know, and, you know, and I was able to sort of, you know, be cured right, quote, unquote, of cancer, but I will always be extra vigilant, I will always be considered a cancer patient and always be part of sort of screening for the rest of my life. So I would definitely encourage anyone who has this gene or has any family history to really push doctors to get your screening in. And I have friends who around the age of 30, a little below a little bit after some had the BRCA, some did not. And it's helpful to at least know if you have that or not, which can be done with, I think, genetic testing. Mm-hmm. I think even like those 23 and Me tests yeah. can tell you that. Yeah. I remember I did that and I looked for that gene. It's a great marker to know if you need to do something, like you said, prophylactically, which didn't end up working out for you timing wise. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you also make it sound like it was easy. You still <laughs> had the diagnosis. You had the bilateral mastectomy, correct? Mm-hmm. You had both the breasts taken out, maybe put them back in, which is a second surgery. My friend who did that it was a, like two surgeries to... yeah make the space and then get, you know. Yeah, that's exactly it, yeah. (laughs) Okay, you had to, so so you have to go through multiple surgeries, not in a fun way, and then go through chemotherapy as well. Yeah, yeah. Correct? Yes, correct. And I also had an ophorectomy done, which is a uh, removal of your ovaries and fallopian tubes. So I'm, you know, I'm officially in menopause now at age 38, um, which, you know, also is something that I'm adjusting to that my body is adjusting to now. So yeah, I feel like a completely different person now today than me, you know, a year ago, both physically, mentally, spiritually, in every way I've changed. And it's almost a blessing that you had those four kids early. My other friend who who had breast cancer, my friend Shana, who listens to the podcast, she had two kids. She's, you know, similar to you. I think she was married at like 25, had her two kids. And then in the last few years, 
got her diagnosis. So it's funny. Sometimes we think we're crazy for doing these things and yet the life kind of works out. Yeah. Kind of for us. I know you didn't get to have the five kids, but (laughs) I, yeah, I, I was, yeah, I was not sad about it. I mean, you know, I, my ovaries have done its job luckily, you know, and you know, I, I really couldn't ask for more in life. To be honest, Lisa, I am very, very happy with, you know, my four children, with what I've accomplished, both um, at work and also in the community and, you know, with what I've established with my family. You know, I I still feel that there's a lot more to go. Um, There's a lot more that I want to do to build up on top of the foundation. But, you know, I'm so just I feel very blessed and happy with where I am right now. And you have such an outlook, even while you were in your treatment, though, which was really the most, you know, eye opening for you. Is it easy to put on a happy face during hard times or? Usually I think it is. I would say I have a tendency to like laugh through things and to really and I don't know if that's like a great thing sometimes because I I think I think, um, you know, and I upon like speaking through this cancer diagnosis and experience with my therapist, like we really were able to identify that, like, I really sometimes try to be too strong. Like, it's okay not to be so strong. And it's okay not to laugh through everything. But I think just um, my gut reaction is always just to laugh through things and to, and I, I don't know if it's a coping mechanism or what it is, really, I'm still trying to figure myself out in that way. But it feels good to me to be able to laugh through struggles and to get through them, just just power through it, right? I also feel like during my cancer diagnosis, I wrote in my journal, like, there doesn't need to be a lesson for everything. Like, it's there doesn't need to be this like complete story, right? Of like, this horrible thing happened to me. And as a result, I've learned so much, right? Like, because to me, like, I feel like it's like too forced, right? Like, I wrote in my journal, like, Jenny, stop trying to complete the story, just be right. Just if this is hard, just say it's hard. And it's okay, that it's hard, right. And like, if you hate what's happening, then just say, I hate what's happening, you know, and I think for for the first time during my cancer battle, I was so truthful about it. Like I would say, no, this sucks. There is no rhyme or reason for why this happened to me. It is not fair. There's no lesson to be learned through a cancer diagnosis and all of the struggles. And that's okay. It just is what it is. And there is no lesson here. But we keep moving. (laughs) You know, we keep moving forward and we keep building. And as long as, you know, I'm still breathing, I'm going to continue to do what feels right to me. And only you know what Jenny needs, whether that's to power through or soften down and power down. But I really love your approach and its honesty. And I've really enjoyed, even just in this interview, going through Jenny from (laughs) Korea to here. Really, it is such a journey of change and becoming that continues to unfold. So I'm excited to also see the places you go and follow along on your journey. Mm -hmm. So thank you for living your truthiest life. I don't know if we say congratulations, but (laughs) congratulations for really, I mean, you're in recovery right now, Mm -hmm. right? So you're a survivor and we need you. So thank you so much. And thanks for being a guest today. Oh, thank you so much, Lisa, for having me. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. 
With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.